Well, listen, I'm really glad that you're here today. I'm thankful to get to see you guys today. Uh, and I'm really excited and thankful that you're finally going to get to hear some good preaching after all this time. Uh, I'm taking some preaching time off and working on some other projects and just kind of breathing a little bit and, 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 and trying to catch up on some things. And so today I'm, I'm really thankful that our worship pastor, Pastor Mike Jones, is going to be, be bringing God's word to us. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Mike and his leadership in our church family and his walk with the Lord. And he's a blessing to our, our pastoral team and to our staff team. And I know he is to our church family. And, uh, and you're going to be blessed today as he brings God's word to us. I already heard him in the first hour. And I'm telling you, it's right down the fairway in God's word. A word that we need to hear, I think, all the time, but maybe for some of us, especially as we're moving into the holiday season. So I hope that you've come ready to receive what God wants to say and share with you today from his word. Pastor Mike, if you'll come this way, and I want us to have a moment to pray for Pastor Mike before he brings God's word. He carries a tremendous load uh, on our team here, a lot of responsibilities. And so when the pastor says, hey, would you be willing to preach? That's a whole nother dump truck that just got dumped on him, and, and he does it all so well, but I know it's not easy, and I want to thank the Lord for him and pray for him. Would you join me as we do that together? God, we're so blessed today to get to be in this place together, God, in your presence, to celebrate you, Jesus, together. God, all these opportunities we have to extend hands of love and kindness and compassion through shoeboxes and angel trees, all that stuff, God, those are good blessings from you, and we're thankful that we get to be a part of that. We get to share, God, some of what you have placed inside of us. And God, I'm thankful for Pastor Mike. God, thank you for his leadership. Thank you for his love for you. Thank you for his walk with you. Thank you for his love for your word. And God, I pray now as he continues to serve as our worship pastor today, not with music, but, but only with the word of God. God, I, I pray that first and foremost, it would be an act of worship between him and you. And that out of that, God, the overflow would fall out on all of us today that we would be changed today, that we would be more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in your good name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Come on, Pastor Mike. Thank you, brother. So our students on Wednesday nights have been, uh, this past month of October, they've been going through the, the book of Psalms, and they've been looking at the different categories that, that all the Psalms fit into. And um, I wanted to kind of do that this morning because Psalms, uh, it's my favorite book of the Bible. And um, we don't have time to go through all the categories this morning that they did, but we're going to go through one. But um, the reason why the book of Psalms is my favorite book, it's not because the Psalms are songs and I'm a worship pastor, believe it or not. Um, it's because I think I identify with, um, with how the psalm writers feel when they write some of these psalms. Um, their, their prayer life is what I want my prayer life to be. They, they speak to the Lord with such uh, authenticity when they pray. There's just a, very, a realness to it. There's no pretense to it. And, you know, I can't identify with any of the situations that they find themselves in. Um, I'm not a shepherd. Um, I'm just going through some of the things that I think about David. I'm not a shepherd. I don't even like to wear wool because it's itchy. Um, I've never hidden out in a cave. I've never been chased by an invading army. I've never had like a, a crazy king try to put out a hit out on me. None of those things apply to me in this moment. But, well, none of them apply to you in this moment either. But I think that all of us can kind of think about 
how, um, how we feel. And we may feel the same way as some of those men feel. We may identify with, with what they say. And, and they do such a great job of expressing those feelings. They, they say things that, that just, it's so different than how we would say it. For example, uh, I might pray and I might say, I praise you, Lord. But I want you to listen to how David says it. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's way better. I might say, God, I'm really scared. David says, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Again, just way better. And the way the psalm writers write, it just hits differently. And I've never experienced what they've experienced. I don't think that any of us really have, unless you, maybe you do work with sheep on a farm. That's fine. But what I love about the Psalms is that I feel how they feel. So of all the different categories that we can fit all 150 Psalms in in our Bible, the one we're looking at today stands out from all the rest. Because more than one third of all of the Psalms fit into this category, more than any other category. More than 50 of the Psalms can be classified as a Psalm of lament. That's what we're looking at today. We don't use that word lament a lot these days. Um, but we actually do lament a lot. Um, lamenting is expressing pain. We express our suffering and our grief and our disappointment and even our shame. And sometimes those emotions lead us down dark roads. Sometimes those painful emotions develop into frustration or fear or anger or even sometimes hatred. But I want you to know the difference. Lamenting is not the same thing as venting. Venting is when we share that pain with a person that is going to listen to us and is going to understand us. Somebody that's going to say, yeah, um, that's really tough. I'm so sorry that you're having to go through that. That's what venting is. Complaining, it's part of lamenting, but we, we complain to other people in hopes that our situation will change. Maybe somebody that we complain to, maybe somebody that we tell about our situation, maybe they have the power to change our situation. Or maybe they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody that can change our situation more to our liking. Lamenting is uniquely different than venting and complaining. Lamenting is unique to the relationship between a Christ follower and a sovereign God. Lamenting is a pattern of prayer. It's between us and God. And I don't know how much I'm going to offer you today that's worth writing down, but I want you to write this down, if nothing else, today. When we lament, we offer our pain to God. Not so he'll take it away, but so he'll use it. When we lament, we offer our pain to God. Not so he'll take it away, but so he'll use it. And he will use it. He'll use it to help us to trust him. He'll use it to help us to make, uh, to, to make us more like Jesus. He'll use it like Pastor Joel talked about last week, last Sunday, to reflect his glory to those that are living around us. And we see the same steps of this pattern of lament repeated over and over again in about 50 of our psalms. And while I'd love to go through all those psalms and try to let you see where it is, I just don't have time for that today, so I just want to stick with one. So let's look at Psalm 13 together. I chose Psalm 13 because it's very straightforward. Psalm 13, it just is six verses. It's short, and it walks right through this pattern. It doesn't deviate from it. It just goes step by step by step, verse by verse by verse. 
Let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 13. Like I said, it's short. It has six verses. It was written by David, like most of our psalms were. And it's actually written to be sung by a choir. So we'll go through it and I'll show you the pattern that we see in it. But before we do that, I just want to read the entire psalm to you. All six verses. Verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So look at verse 1. We see the first step in this pattern of prayer, this pattern of lament. The first step is we address God. David says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is going to God because he feels abandoned by God. So he's going to God. And so many times I think about myself when I face a trial, when I face hardship, crying out to God is really low on my priority list. And I think part of it is just pride. I think part of it is just because I feel like I can handle this. I can get through this on my own. I don't need to bother God with this. I can take care of this. That's pride. And that's a sin. Part of it is just not trusting how deeply God desires to help me. Even in those very small, ordinary, everyday moments of our life, we think God doesn't really care about this. He's way too busy for this. This is just something little. No, I want you to listen to Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. Listen to how much God desires to be a part of our everyday life. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How amazing is it that we have a great high priest who empathizes with us and wants to help us. You know, on your phone, that, that list of favorites that you have, and those people are probably the people that you go to when you have a problem, when you're going through a situation, you scroll through that, your family, and that's your friends. You know, I thought, what if we just put God at the top of that list? So when we go there, and I thought about that, and I thought, well, that'd be weird because we don't have a, really a number for God. I thought we could use the number 777. That seems like a pretty good number. We could add 12 in there for the 12 tribes. Maybe we don't have to put anything at all. Maybe we just stick it up at the top. So the moment we go to our friends to vent and complain, we stop and say, you know what? I need to address God. That's who I need to go to first. And David knows this. So he begins by lamenting, by going to the one who understands better than anybody else what he's going through. And that's the first step in lamenting. We address God. Verse 2 says, how long, David's saying, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So the second step we see in this pattern, believe it or not, is to complain to God. I told you complaining is part of lamenting, to complain to God. So David's in a bad situation. He feels like God has hidden himself from David. 
He has sorrow in his heart every day. He says he feels defeated by his enemies. And I told you that I, I love the Psalms because the Psalm writers are so honest with God. They tell God exactly how they're feeling. They don't, they don't try to hide anything from him as if that would do them any good anyway. And so David is complaining. He says, how long? And he says that four times over and over and over again. But even though he's complaining to God, I want you to notice something. He never blames God. And that's a big deal because that's what separates healthy, faith-filled lamenting with anything else that we do because he doesn't blame God for what he is going through. Whether it's his fault or the fault of somebody around him, he never assigns blame to God. He's wrestling with his own thoughts. He's worrying and worrying. And, and we do this all the time. We know worrying is bad, right? But we still do it. And what is worrying? It's basically rehearsing all of the bad stuff that we think might or might not happen in the future down the road. We say this a lot at Grace Life. We say you can't worry and worship. You can't do both. You're either going to be thinking about all the bad stuff that can happen or you're going to be thinking about how God is sovereign and he's going to use this situation. And that's what David's, used, that's what David's doing right now. He's worrying. So if he's worrying, that means he's not worshiping. That means his eyes aren't fixed on who God is. Paul exhorts the early church in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, no matter how big, no matter how small, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. A Bible commentary I read said this, the more we think about our problems, the more discouraged we get. The more we pray about our problems, the more peace we get. Remember, lamenting is a pattern of prayer. David's praying. He's not hiding from God. He's not running from God. He's not hiding how he feels from God. He's offering his pain to God, not in anger, not assigning blame to God, but with humility. And I want you to know today that it's okay to say, God, I wish I understand. Or I wish I understood what you're doing, but I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me what you're doing. When something terrible happens to a really good person that we know, there's no expectation for us as Christians to all in unison say, well, that makes perfect sense. Understanding that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts not our thoughts is part of lamenting. That's the very beginning of lamenting. Understanding that we are not God and God is. And the way God sees things is far different than how we see things. We see things from the situation that we're in. We're limited. God sees everything. God sees from the beginning of time to the end of time all as a picture. Not as it unfolds. He sees it all at once. And David knows this. David's going to the architect of the universe. God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So David addresses God and he complains to God because he knows that God is the one with the plan. Verse three, he says, look on me and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. The third step in this pattern of prayer is to ask God for help. 
When we read that David says, look on me and answer me, we might think he's saying two different things. We might think he's saying, hey, pay attention to me and answer my questions. But to a Hebrew audience, he's repeating the phrase. And by repeating the phrase, that means he's really passionate about it. He's really serious about it. We see Jesus do this all the time in the New Testament. Jesus will say, truly, truly, I say to you. We say that all the time. We say, I'm really, really, really excited. Or I'm really, really scared. This is a very, very bad situation. You, you, we say it all the time. That's what David is trying to, to get at. He's not saying two different things. He's saying it with repetition because he's putting emphasis on it. David was desperate for God's help. And so he was praying to God with passion. And I was thinking about myself and I think about how guilty I am of praying so many times. And I'll just, I'll just string a bunch of words together that I feel like, well, that sounds pretty good. I think I'm communicating God with God well. I think you'll understand what I mean. But all those words, they don't really mean anything to me. All those words are just words that I say. There's not passion behind those words. And we don't pray with passion because we, we, we think that God is reluctant and we're trying to persuade him. So we're going to say, really, 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 I really, really want you to do this. We pray with passion because it shows God that we truly care about the things that he cares about. John 15, verse 7 is taken out of context so, ma- so much. And you'll see what I mean. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize that you've, you see the second half all the time, but you never see the first half in context. We only hear the last half of this verse, which says, which says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. No, that's called a genie. Ask whatever you wish and he'll do it. Here's what Jesus says. Here's the whole verse in context. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, and then we can put a big then in parentheses because it's a condition. If you remain in me and if my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If we are controlled by his spirit and his word, then he will do what we ask because it's going to be his will anyway. God's will for us is for us to see him for who he truly is. So David is being passionate right here. He's repeating this phrase. David passionately asked for God's help because he wasn't really seeing God for who God really is. And he asked God, he says, God, give light to my eyes. God didn't abandon him. God didn't hide from David. David just wasn't seeing reality because David was being led by his emotions. And our emotions can can blind us to the truth. There's a reason that we say sometimes, we'll say blind ambition. You guys may know somebody that you, you could think, hey, this person, a good way to describe them is this person has a blind ambition. They are interested only in one thing, getting to the top of whatever they are performing at, whether it's their career, rather, no matter what it is, they don't care what it takes. They don't care who it hits. All they want to do is get to the top of whatever it is. That's called blind ambition. They don't see anything else but what they're going for. There's a reason that something called BRS or blind rage syndrome is an actual recognized psychological disorder. We can even be blinded by je- because um, those people that have uh, BRS, they're so intent on exacting revenge or they're so intent on, on getting their wrath poured out on somebody else that they don't care what it takes. They have one goal and that is to, that is to, to be angry at, at whatever they're angry at. It doesn't matter what else happens. They just want to be angry. And that's what they, it doesn't matter. They're blind to everything else. They're blind to reason. 
They're blind to everything because they just want to be angry. We can even be blinded by jealousy, according to this University of Delaware study that found that people who were made to feel jealous were so distracted by unpleasant emotional images that they were unable to spot certain targets. So I take that to mean that they took a bunch of people and they put all these images in front of them and they told them, hey, we want you to look for these certain things in these pictures. We want you to identify these certain things. But the pictures themselves were designed to make them feel jealous. And so they couldn't even spot the targets that they were supposed to look for because they couldn't get past being jealous by what they saw in these pictures. David's emotions in this moment are blinding him to the truth of who God is. So he asked God for help. He says, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. He knew if his spiritual eyes stayed blinded to the truth of who God is, he'd experience a spiritual death. David had a spiritual problem. He lost sight of who God is and needed God to remind him. When we lament to God, we're acknowledging that our situation is more than we can handle. We address God and we complain to God and we ask God for help because our problem is not just a physical one. It's not just an emotional one. It's not just a mental one. Our problem is a spiritual problem. So we are going to God. Verse five, it says, but that's a big word, but because that means even if nothing changes, even if everything stays the same, the same, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. The fourth step in this pattern of lament, this pattern of prayer is to trust God. David expresses his trust in God's unfailing love. See, David has a past with God. They've been through their share of battles and God's always been faithful to David. And I can say the same thing about my battles and I'm sure that you guys can say the same thing about your battles. And I'm not saying that you don't have battle scars. But what I'm saying is that God never has abandoned you. His love has never failed you. To this day, to this moment, as you sit here in this room, I want you to know that God has never once abandoned you. His love is unfailing. And that's the hardest part of lamenting. It's trusting God. It's trusting God in the middle of the situation. You know, I read this psalm all week. I read it over and over and over again. And I tried to find somewhere where David says to us, and God did everything I asked him to do. Exactly the way I asked him to do it. And he also did it in a timely manner that best suited me. And guess what? I couldn't find it. David never says that. He never says, hey, God, change my situation. He never says, God, please remove this from me. He never says that at all. A couple hundred years after King David, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And he spoke some words that I always think about when I'm going through a trial, when I'm lamenting, which I'm still learning. I'm just scratching the surface of what that really means. But Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God never says if you pass or if you walk. He says when. 
Can God change your situation? Absolutely. Can he remove you from it? Yes. Can he take away your pain? Yes. And would you stand in awe of him when he does that? Yes. But when God chooses to use your pain instead of taking it away so that by his grace you stand in the middle of the floodwaters, in the middle of the flames, and proclaim, God, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Then you'll stand in awe of him, and everyone else who knows you will stand in awe of him. We'll all stand in awe of him, your family and your friends and your coworkers, your neighbors, your church. We'll all stand in awe of him when God uses our pain. That's what makes it different. I'm convinced that God didn't just part the Red Sea just for the children of Israel. I think he parted the waters for every watching nation that served some unknown God. So they'd say there is something different about Yahweh. And I don't think that Jesus just appeared in the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think he appeared for every man, woman, and child that was living in exile so they would remember the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because his love never fails. In the middle of your flood, in the middle of your fire, I want to encourage you this morning, remember Yahweh. His love never fails, and you can rejoice in him. Verse 6 says, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The fifth step in this pattern, the final step, is to praise God. I told you David and God had a past, just like every single one of us has a past with God. And, and David remembered God's, remembered God's goodness that had been displayed countless times in his life. So when we lament, we always end up in the same place. We address God. We complain to God. We ask for his help. We trust him. And then we praise him. Lament always ends with praise. And it may not end with praise after five minutes. And it may not end with praise after five weeks. And it may not end with praise after five months. But when we consider how good God is, that his love is so unfailing towards us that he sent Jesus to live and to die and to rise again, to be our salvation, to adopt us as his children, there's no other place to end other than victory. Pastor Joel does such a good job about working through a passage. And if it's in there, he always makes sure and, and he goes through it. And sometimes I know that that's more difficult than others. Sometimes he looks forward to getting there. Sometimes he knows it's going to be awkward, but he does it anyway because it's God's word. And I'm thankful that we have a pastor who, who preaches expositionally, that he takes every verse and every line and doesn't skip it because it's uncomfortable. So that said, I want to draw your attention to verse 6, to the word sing. Now, as your worship pastor this morning, there's a couple. No, I'm just joking. No, I do want to talk about it, but I'm not going to go off. Um, just a little bit. No, there's a reason why psalm writers wrote their prayers down, right? There's a reason. If you look at Psalm 13 in your Bible, there's a heading there. And it probably says something like for the director of music. This prayer of lament is a song. That's what it is. All the, songs, all the psalms are lyrics. And some were written to be sung by individuals. Some were written to be sung by choirs. But they were written to be sung because singing helps us to remember. Remember. 
And I think if we, if we wanted to do this, we're not because it would be kind of crazy. But if we wanted to do this, we could play in here a bunch of songs from the last 50 or 60 years. And we could probably play it by decade, a decade at a time, decade at a time. And you would probably pick out a couple songs, you know, from whatever you consider your generation. And I bet that you would know like almost every word to those popular songs. I bet you would remember it years and years and years after you've heard it. The reason why we can do that is because singing does something that few other things do. Singing engages our hearts and our minds. You can think about that song and you can, you can automatically just go back, not only just in your mind to know what the lyrics are, but you can go back and you can remember how you felt when you would sing that song. God gave us that to use as a tool. The enemy didn't give us that. God gave us that. David sings because he wants his heart and his mind to be locked in together to the truth of who God is. I want you to listen to what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 15, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's saying, if you're going to be filled with something, be filled with God's Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Paul knew that when we sing together, we engage both our heart and our mind. The truth of who we know God to be up here is connected to how we feel in here. And by singing, David is directing his feelings. He does what we talk about all the time at Grace Life. He's preaching the gospel to himself. He's saying to his own soul in this moment, soul, I know that you feel abandoned. I know you feel defeated. But soul, you know God is good. Soul, you know you can trust God. You know he's your salvation. So soul, you should feel joy. God gave us singing as a tool to help us to preach the gospel to ourselves. We can sing his word over and over and we can remember who Yahweh is. You know, why do they think, why do you think they, they do commercials with the little jingles, with the tagline? Why is it set to music? Why don't they just put it up there for you can read? Because it's when it's set to music, your mind remembers it. Singing is a tool that God has given us. And I don't want you to hear me and think, well, singing is the, I'm not saying singing is the only way to praise God. You can, you can praise God in so many ways. You can share your testimony with somebody else. You can share with someone else what he has done for you. You can praise God by, by recording your answered prayers in a journal, by writing them down. You can praise God by serving him and praise God by marveling at his creation at the beach or the mountains or, you know, whatever, you, whatever connects you to God in that moment. You can praise God by, by meditating on his word and memorizing his word. And you can praise God by giving him your tithe. But there's something about singing that connects your heart to your mind and helps you arrive at joy in the end. David's heart rejoiced in God's salvation, so he chose to sing his praise. And this pattern of lamenting, when we address God and we complain to him and we ask for his help, we trust him and then we praise him, it doesn't change our situation. It doesn't change our situation. It changes us. It doesn't make us feel better about ourselves. It doesn't make us feel better about our, the world around us. Lamenting is a desperate plea for God to open up our eyes so that we would see him for who he is. 
And I think some of us, we lose our way. I think some of us are blinded by our own emotions. Our hearts tell our minds how they should feel instead of our minds telling our hearts who Jesus is. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The suffering that we experience makes us question where God is at all. Where is God in in all of it? The shame that we sometimes bear makes us question, does God even have enough mercy for what we've done? The grief that we feel makes us question, does God even love us? If you've ever asked God those questions, join the club. Like I said, a third of the entire book of Psalms is people lamenting. The Old Testament is filled with prophets like Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, who all ask God why. Go home and read Job. That's what the whole book is about as a guy going through this process of lamenting. Jeremiah wrote a book that's literally called Lamentations. It's Lamentations. I'll just see if you guys are awake. We just can't address God and complain to God and stop right there because that's what we do sometimes. That's what I do sometimes. We address God and we complain to God and that's the end of our communication. We have to ask God for help. We have to ask him to help us to have the faith to trust him, to use our pain for his glory. And that takes an incredible amount of faith. That's hard for me to even to say to you guys, because I'm asking you to do something. Nobody says, well, we're going to ask God to use our pain. Nobody says that. That doesn't make any sense. Pastor Joel pointed out at the end of the last service that, that we, we spent the last several weeks going through um, worldview. If you say to somebody, God, I'm asking God to use my pain, they would think you're crazy. That doesn't make sense unless you've put your faith in God already. And you know God is unfailing and he will use my pain. And I want you to know that he's not abandoned you either. Because he's given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit in us. And he's given us each other, his church. He's not abandoned you. He's with you. I want to end today by reading part of another famous psalm of lament by King David. It's Psalm 22. And what makes this psalm special is because this whole psalm is about Jesus. In fact, Jesus quoted the first part of this psalm while he was hanging on the cross. And I'm not going to read it. It's in, it's in, its, entirely, in, in its entirety. Neither Joel nor, nor me can speak today. Um, but I want to read these verses that pertain to these steps because it walks right through it. The Bible tells us that this psalm, Psalm 22, is to be sung to the tune of the doe of the morning. I don't know what that is. I'm sure Jesus had sung it like that at some point in time, but I don't think he did that on the cross. I think on the cross, I think he probably screamed it out. Here's what it says, Psalm 22, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. All who see me mock me. 
They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 13, there's that verse I was talking about earlier. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. The psalmists are so good at saying what I really feel like. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Side note, when David wrote this, crucifixion was not a thing. It had not even been invented yet. Verse 17, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. There's that word but again. Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we come to you this morning because there are many in this room who are struggling right now. And there are many in this room who are hurting and broken and once felt near to you, but now they feel far away from you. And God, we know that you are constant. We know that you're faithful. We know that you're unchanging. But sometimes the waters, they just get too high for us. And sometimes the flames that we feel like we're going through, they just get too hot. And Jesus, we want to see your face again. Lord, we want to see you working in the middle of our situation. And Lord, I think some in this room feel far from you because Jesus, they don't know you at all. Lord, I'm afraid that there are some in this room who you are an unknown God to them. So we ask that you give light to our eyes. Help us to see you. Give us your grace in the middle of our situations. Remind us of your unfailing love that is so great that you died and rose again so that we could be with you for all eternity. And I pray for myself and for my family and for my church family, that our prayers would be real, that they wouldn't be passionless, empty words that just sound good and make us look good. Help us to pray from a place of desperation in our hearts, but remind us of who you are in our heads so that we return to joy. Lord, I pray this morning that you would open mouths to sing your praise that have never been opened before. Help us to rejoice in your presence because you are worthy of that. Jesus, we rejoice in your unfailing love. It's in your name 
we come and we worship and we pray. Amen. Let's stand. I told you at the beginning that I feel like there's, or I told you at the beginning the Psalms fit into these different categories. And I, I think that for us as a church, or at least for those of us in this room, I feel like we probably fit into a couple of different categories. I feel like there's all of us that, that at times we feel distant from the Lord. We may feel like he's hiding from us. We may feel like we can't see what he's doing. And I want to ask you this morning to do something. If that's you, I want to ask you to do something that's really, really hard to do. I'm going to ask you to do something that you can't even do on your own. I'm going to ask you to pray as you're singing, as you're worshiping. I'm going to ask you to cry out to God. And all I want you to do is say, God, I don't need you to change my situation. I don't need you to remove me from my situation. Jesus, all I need is you. And that is enough for me. And that's a really hard prayer to pray. It takes faith. But he's put the power of his spirit inside of you so you can pray that prayer. And he will answer that prayer. And I think some of us are in this category. Maybe some of you this morning are in this category of you feel distant from God. And the reason you feel distant from God is because he's an unknown God to you. You don't know who he is. You've heard of him. You've heard stories, but there's no relationship with his son, Jesus. And I want you to know this morning that he has an unfailing love for you. That no matter how much you run, he wants to be with you. So much so that he sent Jesus to die to eradicate that distance that was created in the garden. I'm going to come down here in just a minute and sing with you guys. But it would make my day and it would make my week. If you don't know Jesus, if, if God is an unknown God to you, would you come and would you talk to me? And I want you to pray. I want to introduce you to who Jesus is. Because he died on a cross so that he could be with you and you could be with him. So that he would walk with you in this life and you would walk with him in the next. That's how good he is to us. And so that's our invitation. Cry out to God from a place of desperation. Lord, we don't want you to change us. We just want you. And that's enough for us. Let's worship together.